Amen to that, and Merry Christmas to you. For those of you who don't know me, my name is Rick, and I'm one of the pastors here, and it's my pleasure to share with you this message on Christmas Eve, and you could have worshiped many places this afternoon, and we are thankful that you chose to be with us. So seriously, from our church to you and your family, Merry Christmas. Christmas is a fun time of the year, and one of the reasons it's so enjoyable is uh, it's a time to watch movies. Many of us have a lot of time off, and we watch movies. A lot of movies come out in the summer, but a lot also come out during Christmas time. And I wanna share with you about my favorite Christmas movie. It is, without a doubt, Home Alone. So I've done my, can you see that? It's up there somewhere. I've done my best to take some screenshots of the best Christmas movie out there, Home Alone, and I'm gonna share it with you this afternoon. Home Alone, as you know, it came out in 1990. It stars an eight-year-old Macaulay Culkin at the time, and he is all about, it's a movie all about togetherness during the time of the holidays. It is uh, about the McAllister family. They are uh, in the suburbs of Chicago. They are, uh, Gary, you're gonna have to run these slides for me because I try to do it from here. All right, so this is the McAllister household. They are about to go to Paris the next morning. So the, the holidays are full of the hustle and bustle and that of, the, of shopping and family coming in, and that's what's happening inside the McAllister household. They are about to fly to Paris the next morning, but all the family from out of town has come to stay with them. And Kevin uh, McAllister, Macaulay Culkin's character, is coming downstairs. Next picture, he's up here looking for dinner. He's looking for pizza. And so the family, you know, about to travel. You don't want to cook a big meal. So you order pizza. Kevin comes down, ask the question any eight-year-old boy would ask, did anyone order me a plain cheese pizza? There's no more cheese pizza. His bigger brother, this is Buzz, Buzz is looking at him with an angry face. He's taunting him, he is not a good big brother. And as he is chewing the last bite of cheese pizza, he says, forgive me parents, but he says, if you want any cheese pizza, someone's gonna have to barf it up. He's rude to him. He is mad, there's no more cheese pizza, and Kevin gets furious. He runs into Buzz. He tackles him, he tries to at least. He pushes his older brother into the countertops, into a table where there's food, and tons of stuff spills. Milk spills all over the passports. The room is thrown into commotion. It's a big deal when you spill milk on your passports before you fly to Paris. I'm asking the more important question, who drinks milk with pizza? Obviously, Kevin McAllister does. The family is really upset at Kevin for starting this fight. He's got this Uncle Frank. You've seen this in a meme. Uncle Frank spilled some Pepsi over him because everything gets thrown into commotion when Kevin tries to tackle his older brother. For Uncle Frank stands up and says, look what you did, you little jerk. And then he's got this brother named uh, Jeff. He says, Kevin, you're such a disease. And then the family, the, the, the camera just pans the family. He just pans them. And they're giving him the stare of death. This stare that says, Kevin, you disappoint me. I can't believe the problem that you started. So Kevin's mom, like a good mom, she steps in. Her name's Kate. She's doing a good job. She's, she takes Kevin upstairs and says, Kevin, look, it's time to go to your room for the evening. And because it's a holiday and we're hosting all kind of family in town, your home is the attic. You got to sleep in the attic. We're giving your bedroom to other people. And as he's being put to bed, his mom says, look, I don't want to hear from you or see you for the rest of the night. And Kevin says, I don't want to see you for the rest of my life. In fact, I don't want to see any of you for the rest of my life. I don't even want a family. Kevin's mom says, I hope you don't mean that. But he walks up the stairs and goes to bed with all this family tension hanging in the room. 
Well, you know how the story goes. That night there's a big storm and the power goes out. That means back in the 90s, that meant your alarm clock got reset and they all sleep in, they all oversleep and they wake up to the sunlight realizing we better hurry up or we're gonna miss our flight to Paris. So they are scrambling to get in the van, to get to the airport, to fly overseas and they finally get their way, they, they make their flight and in the middle, somewhere across the Atlantic, they realize, where's Kevin? They've missed Kevin. Kevin is home alone. Kevin, no one checked the attic. Kevin wakes up and he realizes he is home alone all by himself. He sits back and he thinks, I wish last night that I would have no family and I wake up this morning and I have no family. He thinks his wishes have come true. He thinks this is this a wonderful thing. And so kids, imagine if you woke up and the house was all to yourself. You could do whatever you want. No parents, no rules. You would probably live large like Kevin is. Kevin gets his BB gun out. He takes his toy soldiers and starts firing inside the house. Don't do that. Inside the house, he's firing his BB gun at them. He starts eating ice cream and uh, Doritos and Pepsi. He's drinking all kinds of soft drinks, eating terribly. He's watching movies that he shouldn't watch that are far too scary for him. He's enjoying life, and that goes on for several days until he wakes up one morning and he realizes this is not all it's cracked up to be. The joy of trashing the house begins to fade and he actually gets a little bit scared. There's a neighbor, I think his name is Marley, who's, he scares him. He, he, he's shoveling snow at, at night, and his siblings have told him that he's a murderer. He's not. He's also got his eye on these two guys who look like criminals, and he's afraid that he's going to break into his house, and of course, which becomes the main plot line of the movie. But the point is, he starts to miss his family. What seemed to be a joyful time of having... Time home alone now is not all that enjoyable anymore, and so he does what any reasonable eight-year-old would want to do. He finds the local Santa. He goes to Santa, and Santa has already gotten off ship, but he, shift, but he finds him in his car, and he says, Santa, I need you to help me. I want you, you to know I don't want any toys for Christmas. I'm Kevin McAllister. I live at such and such address, Lincoln Avenue. All, I want you to know all I want for Christmas is my family to come home. I want Pete and Kate and Buzz and Megan and Lenny and Jeff I want my aunt and my cousins, and if you have time, even Uncle Frank. He walks away from meeting with Santa, which comes to, and this, this is the point, he comes to what I think is one of the most memorable scenes in the movie. He's walking with his head down because he's so sad and depressed, missing his family. And he comes upon a house with family walking inside, there's already family in the house, and there's other family walking in. Clearly, they're there to celebrate Christmas, and he's regretting that he's not with them. He, he's sort of living his Christmas dreams through this family. And the camera pauses and watches Kevin be fixated on this household. He just stands there and, and stares at the Christmas joy that they're having that he's not having. The camera pans to the family eating dinner. It pans again to a family decorating a Christmas tree. And then it pauses and lingers on Kevin, just standing there fixated on this Christmas scene that he doesn't have access to. I want to ask the question, why was Kevin so fixated on this family? Complete strangers. And I think the answer is straightforward. The answer is obvious. Kevin is fixated on this family inside because inside that house there are presents. Inside that house there is love and really acceptance of everyone. Inside that house everyone's healthy and inside that house there's a really good meal. If I were to ask you what do you really want for Christmas or what makes Christmas Christmas, I think we would say 
Well, part of it is, of course, Jesus and the theology of God taking on human flesh like we just saw in the video. But if we said, what makes Christmas Christmas from a cultural perspective? Why do people who do not love Jesus also love Christmas? I think we would say, well, presence has got to be part of it. Presence, and I think that's a good thing. I don't think we should pour cold water on exchanging gifts. Presents are great. I made a mistake this past week, big mistake, of going to UTC and trying to find a parking spot. I believe everyone south of I-4 decided to go to Target at the same time. I, I, I gave up. I gave up. I pulled away 10 or 15 minutes. Like I'm, I was willing to walk, but I just gave up trying to find a spot. Why was it so busy? Because we all love giving and receiving gifts. We all will work really hard to find that special last-minute present. Acceptance is another thing that we really value at Christmas. Even if we don't say it out loud, I believe this is happening at the subconscious level. We long to be accepted. See, Christmas brings us with our family. It doesn't just bring people together. Christmas often brings families together. And the thing about a family gathering, which is different from all other gatherings, is that your family knows your business. Your family knows you and all your best moments and your worst moments. And so all the warts and the bruises that we have, all of our baggage is known to our family members when we gather with them. And so when we enjoy Christmas with our family, there's an underlying sense of acceptance that comes with that. They love us. You're one of us. You belong here, even though you might have shame for all that stuff you did when you were a kid. Acceptance is part of what makes Christmas Christmas. So is being healthy. Now stick with me on this. It's always sad to be at the hospital or to have a surgery, but it's especially sad if that's you at Christmas. If you're going away, you long to be home. For, if you're away at the hospital for several days, we always celebrate that moment when I'm finally able to go home because home is a place where you are healthy. Many of you for Christmas, if you could say, you can get anything you want for Christmas, you would say, really, I don't care about the presents. All I care about is my health. If God would just make me healthy, that'd be the best thing I can have. So health is something that we think about during this time of year we also think about a big meal. Christmas would not be Christmas if it weren't for food, right? Like tonight, some of you are gonna have special plans for Christmas Eve dinner. I know in our household, Christmas morning breakfast is something that we start thinking about in early December. This is a big deal. It's, we, it's, it's a big part of the Christmas tradition, having breakfast on Christmas morning. Many of you, you don't care about the presents under the tree. All you care about is having the family together at a mealtime. And for you, that's what makes Christmas Christmas. And so what makes Christmas Christmas? What, why is it so meaningful to us? It's because deep down we don't want to be home alone. We don't want to be Kevin. I think it was the, the soldier writing in World War II in that song, I'll be home for Christmas if only in my dreams. There is a deep connection between a desire for home and Christmas. Christmas draws out those inner desires we have for presence, for acceptance, for health, and to enjoy a good meal. Well, that brings us to our, our text this evening. I want to tell you about Jesus' letter that he wrote to the church at Laodicea. Uh, this is a city where Jesus, after he descended into heaven, wrote a letter to this church. And I got to tell you a little bit about the city because that's what makes the letter make sense. This city in Laodicea was uh, really curious in that it did not have a natural water source. And so it had to get water from hot springs. It was like six miles away, this hot spring was. And so you remember the, the Romans, how they built stuff. By the time the water flowed through the aqueduct six miles away, it was hot when it came out of the hot spring, but by the time it got to the city of Laodicea, it was lukewarm and full of all kind of mineral deposits, which made people sick when they ate it. Someone would throw up just from the water. So the city did not have good water. But they did have money. 
It was a wealthy city. They were big into banking, and they were proud of that. They were also big into textiles. They had figured out how to do fabric well. They had these special sheep that they could breed to have uh, this fine black wool, which they really enjoyed. They prided themselves in dressing well. And they also had a medical school there in Laodicea, a medical school which uh, the pride of that city was that they manufactured this ointment for your eyes, which they really thought was a big deal. However, the church there did not love God at all. This church in Laodicea was wicked. They were tolerating sin left and right. They were minimizing the seriousness of rebellion against God. And so Jesus writes this letter to them. And this is what he says in Revelation 3, verse 15. He says, I know your deeds. You are neither cold nor hot. I wish you were one or the other. So because you are lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I want to spit you out of, or I'm about to spit you out of my mouth. What an indictment. So Jesus, when he's looking at the city, he does not pull any punches. He accepts that they are wicked, and he tells them that. When I think of you, it makes me think about the nasty water in your city. It makes me want to spit you out of my mouth. See, they were fully self-reliant on themselves. They were prideful people. We see in Revelation 3, verse 17, he says, You say, I have acquired wealth. I am rich and do not need a thing. But Jesus says, you do not know, you do not realize that you are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. Jesus is being quite serious about the extent of their sin, but he's just as serious about the extent of grace. Do you see in that verse how Jesus is appealing? Uh, Look at this next verse in verse 18. He says, look at his grace. He says, I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire so you can become rich and white clothes to wear to cover your shameful nakedness and salve to put on your eyes so that you can see. Do you see what Jesus is doing? He's taking, he's appealing to the pride of the city. He's saying, hey, you think you're rich because you got this banking? I'll give you true riches. You think you've got, ooh, I got black wool on. Look, look at me. I'll give you a white garment to wear to cover your shame. I'll, you think you're great because you have all this ointment that can make your eyes better? I'll put salve, which is ointment, on your eye, and then you'll really be able to see. And then the last verse I'll share with you, Revelation 3.20. Christ says to these wicked people, here I am. I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, then I will eat with him and he with me. What do we all want for Christmas? We don't want to be Kevin standing on the outside watching someone else enjoy presents, being accepted by their family, being in good health, and sharing a good meal. Friend, do you see what Jesus Christ, when he's appealing to his church that is not being faithful, when he is appealing to them to follow him and to turn from their sin, do you see what he appeals to? He says, come, enjoy presence. Come, you'll be rich. Get gold from me refined in the fire. Come find acceptance. You'll find acceptance if you come from me. You have shame and guilt, but I will cover your shame with a robe of righteousness that is pure white. You want healing, you want to be healthy, I'll put salve on your eyes so that you can see signifying eternal life. And you want company around Christmas time? Look, knock on the door, I'll come in and eat with you and you with me. I wanna share a meal with you. Jesus Christ offers to have a meal with the very people who are currently making him sick. That's the magnitude of the love of God. And so I want you to see this. The very thing we long for every Christmas Presence, acceptance, health, and a meal. That is exactly what Jesus offers to those who turn from their sin and commit to follow Jesus and make him the king of their life. And so friends, wherever you are spiritually tonight, 
whether you identify as a, as a Christian or not a Christian or somewhere in between, or maybe you don't know, I bet we all long to have a memorable Christmas. We all want to enjoy presence and acceptance and health and a good meal. And I hope you'll notice that that longing that you have for a memorable Christmas should point us to the only one who can actually give it. He will give us eternal life, and that eternal life will be really good. So good it'll feel like we're home for Christmas. That's my word for you this evening. Let's pray.